1: British. Welcome to another BritishCom podcast, and today we're doing five great British horror films with Nick Savinis.
2: Yes, correct.
1: And do you know? I don't even. We've been, dear listener, we've been talking for forty-five minutes. And that's the first time I've said his surname, and I should have asked before we started, but I got, I got it right. I can't believe it. Welcome um, to the show, Nick.
2: Thank you. Thank you. You are like the first British person to get my surname right first time off the bat. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, British people rarely get it right first time.
1: So. Well, uh, this, uh, yesterday I interviewed a guy called Keith English, which is probably the easiest name I've had to pronounce in a long okay. time. Because I do forget, no matter how many times I do this podcast, it's the one thing I forget is to just check with the pronunciation on name, so I'm glad I got it right. Now, we're doing five great British horror films, and but before that, uh let's introduce you. You're a screenwriter, yeah? I am, yes. And is is horror your bag, or is horror just what you've been doing of late?
2: Um, it's pretty much just what I've been doing of late, really. It's what I um started off doing, it's the first uh script that I sold. Mm-hmm. Um and I didn't have an affinity for horror um, when I was growing up, um, but over the past few years I've kind of been drawn to it. Um, um, I read a lot of sci-fi, but yeah, at the minute, everything I seem to be writing is a little bit horror. Well, welcome to the club. Um, now, that film you sold
1: is called Family Blood and is now on, is ne- has just recently, I've been added to the, uh, the Netflix uh, catalogue. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what Family Blood is
2: before we get on to the Five creepy horror films. Yeah, sure. Uh, Family Blood is a uh, horror. It's uh, about a uh, a recently divorced um, mother of two uh, Mm -hmm. called Ellie. She's moved to a city um, with her two kids, um, looking to start fresh. She's a former drug addict, um, and she goes to these meetings. Um, And then one day um, she meets this supposedly charming, charming guy who, in fact, turns out to be a uh, a vampire and he turns her into a vampire. And um, it's really about how she and her fam and her two kids then have to live in that situation, how they have to adjust to um, their mother's new situation. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we'll, look, well, very and, it, and for, for gory fans, it gets very gory towards the end. So anyone who, likes, anyone who likes a bit of gore, because it's a vampire film, you need some gore.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, look, um, we will, uh, Nick and I spoke before we started. We're going we're gonna to do a separate podcast another time talking about the writing of that script, so I'll look forward to doing that at a later date. But for now, we're going to do five great British horror films. And just before we start, Nick, I'll just explain the rules for anyone new hearing this. It is five films... And we get five minutes per film, and uh, when the dulcet tones of the uh, Broughton band sing "Out Demon Out," that's the signal that five minutes has ran. We will um, we will stop at that point. I mean, I'll, I'll allow Nick to obviously finish a sentence or two, but ostensibly, it's just so we make sure we get a good five minutes on each film. Um, I'll do them in date order, as I, as I understand their um, their their release dates. Um, Basically, IMDb's years is what I'm going off. So, um, are you ready to go, Nick? Oh, I'm ready. Okay, okay. So, we're going to start 1958 with uh, House of Dracula. Do you want to tell us what what the appeal is of that Terence Fisher-directed movie?
2: Oh, for for me, this is the quintessential Dracula movie. Okay. Uh, It's Christopher Lee, um, uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, it's it's really atmospheric. It's action packed. It's it's the it's the best it's the best of the it's one of the best Hammer horror films in my opinion. Definitely the best Hammer monster movies. Mm-hmm. It, it's just got this really gothic atmosphere. Um, it's I, I think it's just one of the most iconic vampire movies ever made, really. Um, I think Christopher Lee is better than ever even though he only says and he has like a few lines in that movie he doesn't speak that much he has like a few lines in the first act and then I think throughout the rest of the film he doesn't speak which I find hilarious because he's like called Dracula Um, and I think it's just one of the for me it's it's action packed it's gothic I remember when I first saw it I was just I was just it was like a roller coaster for me I saw it when I was about 15 for the first time yeah Um, and I was just enthralled by it I was just I was just like oh my god because I just watched I went for a bit of a Dracula binge during those times because I just watched um, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula all right and then I'd watched um, the classic uh, Bella Lugosi Dracula right like round about the same time and then I'd and then and then I'd watched the Terence Fisher one and I was like yeah this is the best one by far um, and what, I was,
1: what do you think it is? What do you think Terence Fisher brings as as a director to to the Dracula
2: iconography? I think it's that. I think it's that gothic atmosphere. It's that. It's it's the darkness. It's the cinematography. It's. I don't. It's. It's some. It's really classic horror. It's not like because Terence Fisher never was big on like jump scares. It's. It's the sense of of thrills of spills it's you know there was a it was a dare i said there was a bit of a sexiness to it as well because you know christopher lee you know back then he was a it's got kind of an alluring dracula with the cape and
1: well the there's, there's 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 always an inherent sexuality to uh, to a vampire i think
2: yeah I, I i think i think um i think christopher lee he brought that into space i think i think um Terence Fisher, he's, he's just, for me, he's, he's one of, he's, he was one of the best hot, definitely one of the best atmospheric directors. I think, I think he, Mm. I think there would be no hammer without Terence Fisher. Wow. Um, just, just, just because of, just because of the films that I saw. And I think that just, I think just what he brought to the mythos of, um, because it's, it's so iconic, that film, for me.
1: And this is the film with the Zodiac wheel in the final scene, isn't it? Is that right?
2: I think so, yeah. I think it is. Um, I say that, but I recently rewatched again The Devil Rides Out, and I know there's a... <laughs> there's definitely something in that, yeah, for sure. There's there, there definitely, there definitely some stuff, and there's definitely some wheels and satanic stuff in there, but I think so. I, I remember I, I remember the final confrontation between Van Helsing and Drake. Hmm in the movie was just so action packed. And it was like a proper, you you could feel the danger Mm. and you feel the tensions, like who's going to win this. And, you know, you see like they're just chasing each other and, and, and Peter Cushion's like running around like a full on action hero, um, leaping off tables and he leaps off the table and he yanks down the curtain that would like that for the daylight to shine through and it burns Dracula to like death. And it's, for me, it was like so thrilling. It was like a, it, it it kind of, that film kind of solidified my love for vampires a little bit um, and, it was, and
1: it was it was you know i mean it was written by um what's he called um J- jimmy sangster but it but it was based on the novel wasn't it it was based on Bram stokers novel
2: yeah very i think very loosely based <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a very very loose adaptation i think but um yeah um jimmy sangster who's he's uh, the story for me another screenwriter who i think he's he, he was like a, you know, one of the key figures of horror cinema who doesn't get enough kudos, in my opinion. Um, but, you know that for me, that that script was like tight, it was lean, it, it got to the bare bones of the story, and it was, uh, yeah, I just, it was, it's just one of those films I just, I love, I love so much. I just, love, I just love that. And there goes Ecto Brown. So.
1: Uh, after uh, after the, the the horror of Dracula, we're going to jump to 1961 and another iconic um, horror horror monster, the Curse of the Werewolf. Yeah. Again, Terence Fisher.
2: Terence Fisher again. Yeah, I know Oliver Reed. Um, I say this at the minute because um, I am actually I was actually writing a I was actually writing a werewolf movie. Oh yeah. And, um, this was a huge influence on my writing of it. Um, what, in what sense? The primarily the beginning, like, cause it is su- it's such a drawn out first act. Right. Um, because this is, it, it takes, it, I think it's like 40 minutes or something before Oliver Reed actually shows up. And Oliver Reed is the wolf man, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really dark opening of, um, the, uh, of this, of this hermit homeless guy gets thrown in prison and then the mate and then he rapes a maid in, in his cell and she gives birth to Oliver Reed. It's pretty, it's so dark. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Really dark and a twisted film. And the, where, the, like the werewolf affliction isn't caused by, to Oliver Reed, It not caused by a bite, isn't caused by, um, any, any sort of, any, any of the classical tropes you'd, you would normally associate with a werewolf. Mm-hmm. He becomes a werewolf because of the curse of the, essentially, the, what happened to his mother. Essentially, the nature of his birth. Yeah, so violent and so horrifying that it kind of it comes out at an adult stage when when he when he's older and he and he starts having feelings and he's, he can't control that animal desire in him anymore. But what really struck me about this film the mm-hmm. really influence my werewolf story was um there's there's a whole sequence where oliver reed's character as a child um begins having these essentially night terrors um he begins experience he he, he begins like lashing out he begins growing he already begins growing fur um it's like a child and he's turning into something and his adoptive parents don't know what's happening to him. And they're so confused. And they put bars on the windows and they're, they're horrified. And, they, and they're and actually lost for words. They're just like, I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with our kid. Something is happening to this boy and we can't help him. Um, and for me, that was very powerful. Um, as Just as a concept. Mm. As, you know, like parents who seeing a child suffering or something's happening to a child who they love and they don't understand why it's happening to them. Um, they don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's happening to the child. And it's the sense of, I can't help, our this child, I can't help the person I love. Um, and, and that's, a, for me, that's, al- that's always been such a prevalent thing in, in, in the werewolf mythos because
1: what, what it, do you think? What do you think the werewolf's doing in this story? You know the idea of obviously the mother giving birth to the cursed child that will be a werewolf, come of age and stuff. But what do you think it's saying about man?
2: I think it's. I think I think this one particularly.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, for me, it was about how how you know the legacy the legacy of violence. Yeah. I think. Um, and how you know, how it can, it can filter down through the years, how, you know, for me that was about and how it can af- affect us going forward. Like the past, the violence of the past can consume and curse us. And, and um, if, if we don't confront it, if it's, if, you know, if we hide it and we bury it, mm. if we, if we repress it um, to the point, it's just going to explode in this in this horrible moment, which I think, which is what it does in the curse of the Werewolf, because, you know, they, for the longest time, Oliver Reed, he represses the thing that's inside him mm. and he's always repressing it and repressing it until it just explodes in this. And as it manifests itself as this hairy werewolf and it comes out and he, and it terrorizes the town, and he kills a lot of people. And, um, so I think for me, that's, that's what, you know, I think that's at the core of a lot of werewolf stories.
1: Yeah, because it's because it is, it, is,
2: it is like Frankenstein.
1: I guess he is very much the victim of the circumstance, as opposed to as opposed to he wants to kill people. It's it's the uncontrollable desire, you know, animalistic desire which makes him kill, not the yep. human sentient. I can control this.
2: Yeah, and that's, and that's what I love. And there's a very powerful scene, right like, near towards the end of the film, where he's mm. already changed, and they suspect that Oliver Reed is the werewolf. Oh, oh wow. Well after all that thought, Yeah.
1: Thank you for. Uh, well, we'll be coming back to um,
2: to werewolves pretty soon, but for now, I'll we'll, just can I I'll just finish this point. Yeah, go on. About that, like like there's a, a very powerful scene in it where he's just turned and, and Oliver really saying he actually says that thing at one point. You should kill me. Oh really? Yeah. Which I think I, I can't remember if that was a scene, but it felt it felt like he was begging the people to kill him. Um, because he didn't want to hurt anyone else, and for me that was that was it was very powerful. Yeah, tra- tragedy, tragedy, and horror go well, don't they? Yeah, especially <laughs> that. And, and once again, Terence Fisher, who I think is a genius.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of interesting because uh, when we originally uh, discussed doing this, you, you, you mentioned about having a double Neil Marshall, and you've ended up with a double Terence Fisher. Ended
2: up with double Neil. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, look, uh, let's jump to um, a very different movie, The Haunting, Robert Wise, 1963.
2: Yes, for me, the, um, the ultimate, the ultimate ghost film, I think, isn't it? It, it is, uh, the quintessential go, go, uh, ghost film by far. It was a toss up between this or The Innocents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I went with The Haunting because it, for me, this was, this was terrifying. Um, if you watch one film called The Haunting, you watch this one, you don't watch the shitty remake. The 1999
1: one's uh, to be avoided, isn't it?
2: It definitely wants to be avoided. <laughs> This one, it's it's one of the few because for me, ghost stories they're kind of all the same. Um, the you know things go bump in the night, people hear things, door things go creak, you know. They're they're, they're very similarly structure wise. Um, you know we have a, a whole spate of them, like from ever since The Conjuring um, came out recently, we have a whole spate. But for me, the the ultimate haunted house movie is The Haunting. Um, by Robert Wise. It's, it's, it's my favorite. It's based on the novel by Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Um, you've got great performances from the likes of like Claire Bloom, um, you know, Julie Harris. It's, it, and there, there's a, and I, it just, it, it's just, for me, it was so creepy and intense when I first saw it. And I first saw this when I was like 17.
1: It really captures, doesn't it, that notion because I remember somebody once saying if you want to test whether a film was scary or not is switch all your lights off after you've watched the film and then walk through your house. Yeah. And obviously the haunting is the manifestation of you, you and your, you, the, your, your imagination the dark are going to get you in more trouble than anything else and obviously add in the element of the supernatural and boy, you're in trouble. Yeah, and it,
2: it's the thing because you watch it now there's not many John scares in it at mm. like, jumpstick but when a horror film succeeds I think like like this one for a horror for a horror film like a haunted to succeed as you said you, you know it is that feeling of you have to have that sense of dread buried inside you mm. and I think the haunted really it really got under my skin um the first time I saw it because it, there was a sequence in it where the doors are banging I think and the two and the two women, they're in bed together and they're screaming and they're like freaking out and and the and you just hear this banging on the doors and for me that was very powerful. It's just it 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 was just and it blew my mind because until that point, um, the only other Robert Wise films I had seen, directing wise, were uh, The Sound of Music and. West, and West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> they were literally the only two films I had seen at that point that, that Robert Wise had directed or co-directed. And wow.
1: Out. Yeah, because, you know, my mind had not thought of that. <laughs> yeah.
2: So there was, like, because my sister, she loved The Sound of Music, and I hated it. I hated it so much, I think, because my sister watched it religiously. Um, so he was the only, and I know, oh, Robert Wise, I'll oh, avoid his films. And then, yeah, he did The Haunted, which is now one of my favourites, which is crazy. Mm. Um, But it was, I think it's so, it's such a well-constructed film. It's not a film, like, I think too many films today, especially mainstream horror films, they rely too much on the jump scare.
1: Hmm.
2: The jump, and today the tension comes from not you being tense and scared because of the narrative. It's you waiting for the jump scare. Yeah, like walking around a dark dark corridor and waiting for someone to jump out it's like you're you're tense because when's the jumpscare coming? I, I think, I can't remember what critics said, but they described it as like cattle prod cinemas. I think it was like Nigel Floyd or mm. Um And they said it's basically, oh, you get, it's just the audience waiting to be prodded and they're prodded and they're like, ooh, and they jump. It's like, and, well, it, and it's that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas,
1: whereas The Haunting is is an unsettling film, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I, and that's what it, and I, for me, they're the best type of horror films, and films that would like, and this one, like, it was the first, like, ghost story that I'd seen that really unsettled me. Um, it, it, it was a few years before I saw The Innocents. Um, but this was the first one that I saw that I was, like, really got under my skin for some reason. And I don't know what it is. It's, it was, it was so chilling. And I think once again, it's the, it's the sense of atmosphere, it's the, the, the use of the camera, the way it flowed and the music and, and the performances as well, I think are really, like all those actors in there, they just sold it for me. Um, they really sold it. And I think that helps in a lot of these type of films. Um, if you get good actors who can sell it. Well, oh, I that thought. If you get good actors who can sell it, what? If, if you get good actors, you can sell that type of material, like really well. And it just makes it even more unsettling. Like, Just get really, really solid performances from the cast. And I think it really helps in the haunting. No, indeed,
1: indeed. Now, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we've done three films in the 60s, well, we've done late 50s, two in the 60s. Now we're going to jump to the 21st century. So we're bypassing the 70s, the 80s, the 90s to get us
2: to 2002's 28 Days Later. Um, Classic zombie movie in my book. I try to go go for films that have had a, a bit of a, Bit of everything. We've had a we've had a vampire movie. We've had a werewolf ghost story. Now we got zombies. Indeed, full house. Um, so I've gone through the whole gourmet and once again, this is an atmosphere thing for me. Hmm. Um, there, there are several reasons why I love Twenty Eight Days Later. Um, you know, one of the one thing is a, it's a it's a great story. Um, it's a great atmosphere i think there's there's nothing there's very few things that beat the bit beat the atmospheric chills of killian murphy work walking through a deserted london yeah um, there's there's very few things that beat that and that's been and you know that's been so influential in lately with with many films after it i mean uh you know and what you know one of my favorite you know one of my favorite stories um, was by Richard Matheson called "I Am Legend," mm-hmm. um, and the sense of isolation he captures in that book, I think he captures. I think you know, you can tell there's an influence here on this film, in which just the the, the you know the way it echoes and the eerie sense of the eerie atmosphere that Danny Boyle captures of you know Killian Murphy going through London in 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 the hospital scrubs. It's it's chilling. It's a chilling feeling, and I think it's it's one of the best depictions of a post apocalypse. And, oh, yeah. and also as well, it, it it very cleverly without any need for much else
1: through the magic of cinema introduces how it could have happened without yeah. very without too much at all, is it? It's yeah. a, what a two minute, one minute scene of the the saboteurs.
2: Yeah, it's it's literally yeah, it's, it's it's that scene and it's that in you know, a little bunker and the test site, breaks out, um, hits you straight in, and then boom, cuts to black fades up, there's Killian Murphy lying on a hospital bed. Hmm. Straight away, and he's, I'm wearing as much as a dark essentially as he is, almost. And this, and,
1: and this is Alex Garland's first feature film, isn't it, as a screenwriter?
2: Yeah, I think...
1: I think... It, I'm, I'm saying it is like like I, like I know, but I'm guessing it is.
2: I think so. I think it's... Yes, it is. No, I, I was thinking that if he did The Beach and he didn't, he just wrote The Beach novel. But yeah, this was Alex Garland's first um, credited screenwriter role. But oh, I guess, I guess, as you know, adapted the novel, he adapted the beach. But he,
1: this he is his first original screenplay. That's, yeah, that, he didn't. John Hodge wrote the script. Okay, okay, sorry, apologies. Um,
2: but yeah, um, yeah. So this is another reason why this film is classic, in my opinion. Um, it gave us Alex Garland the screenwriter. Yeah. Um, which you know, we can we can ever we can forever be thankful for. Um, and it also it was the first time also I saw um, it gave us Naomi Harris who I love as an actress um, who I think is is a fantastic actress and she deserves deserves all wonderful things in the world and I've been a huge fan of hers ever since this film.
1: Well, one of the things I think it captures is 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 often the problem with shooting a horror, a horror film in Britain. Yes yeah. is, is the sense of scale because obviously we're a small country and yeah. and it's very easy to think. You know, I always think when I watch Eden Lake, you go, "Well, that's just a two-hour drive north of London." They're not going anywhere, but yeah. but because you've got the breakdown of society, and yeah. so that the, the, the huge distances you have to travel become huge because there's there's nothing around anymore. The world's the world's broken down, so therefore any distance is huge yeah. and threatening, and that's what makes it work so effectively.
2: Yeah, and it, it, like the, I think the soundtrack as well. I think. Cause they they sample stuff from Brian Eno. Is it Brian Eno? Brian Eno. Brian Eno, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they sample some tracks for him, and the the combination of that with the deserted as they're driving along the deserted streets, it's 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 haunting. It's a very haunting setup, and there's a very and then when you get to the military with Christopher Eccleston, um, it you know it doesn't it doesn't follow the traditional zombie path when you know it breaks out and they're overrun by hundreds and hundreds of zombies it's like the biggest danger comes from within yeah, it got some
1: zombie to animal farm doesn't it
2: yeah and <laughs> it, it and it becomes it becomes from these psychotic the psychotic military unit and the the resulting rampage um becomes killian murphy's gym who who unleashes like essentially two zombies um, the two infected soldiers or the one infected soldier who then infects another soldier and it's, and it's him and they're running around the, they're running around the mansion and, and that's it. That's the big climax. There's no big, there's no big zombie. Yeah, you're right. There's no,
1: there's no, um, overwhelming
2: yeah, sort of uh... like World War Z style. Like it's just, it's literally just, it's very small scale and, and it works. It's thrilling. It's a, and it's one of the most, I feel, one of the most iconic... It's definitely one of the best zombie movies, I think, ever, up there with one of the... You, just one last question before we move on to
1: the next one. How do you yeah. feel about... Because this is a film that sort of established the the fast-moving zombie as opposed to the uh, the rotting flesh that can hardly move zombie.
2: What, do I prefer them?
1: How do you, how did you feel about that as a, as a change? Because oh. obviously that's sort of right... Because in a way, you know... George Romero wrote
2: rules, didn't he? That just yeah, seemed to be. I, I loved it. I loved the fast movers. Mm. Because they're scarier. The, the slow, the slow movers. I feel like I can outrun. I, I feel like I feel like that scene from Shaun of the Dead when they're like, <laughs> they're just, they're, you know, they they can outrun the zombies essentially, and <laughs> and it's it's because it's they're just so slow moving. But these the zombies was or the infected as they're called. Mm. Yeah. You know? They're not, they're not really zombies because you don't have to shoot them in the head. You can just put them down. They're infected. And they're scarier because they can move so fast. And infection takes seconds. It literally just takes seconds. Um, like one, one you know, that horrible, that like truly devastating scene where Brendan Gleeson is infected. He gets blood drop in his eye. And he just turns. And he just turns in a spate of like ten seconds.
1: Must have been lovely for um, Alex Garland and, and and Danny Boyle to be coming up with these new rules for for the kind of zombie, you know, what was an iconic horror figure. And then yeah. um, and well, just I, just that conversation of what if, you know, what if?
2: but yeah. well, I think it was great because it just completely updated it, mm. and it it just made it scarier. And and for me, it just I'd I love fast move. I'd, I'd prefer the fast movers to the. Cause uh, as I, there's a sense of danger to it. There's, you know, the, the slow movers, it's just like, no, okay, I can, I can easily outrun you. <laughs> like, I, I, I have time to like go find a weapon and then come back and then have a drink of water and then, and then beat a zombie to death with it. But when there's like fast moving and they can overwhelm and swarm and they're snarling and great, that's terrifying to me. Cause then I feel like I can't outrun you. Um, cause I'm asthmatic. So. <laughs> <laughs> The facts. So the fact I'm pretty that... sure you're being
1: asthmatic it's not putting you at that much of a disadvantage to me uh, mm-hmm. I think we'd both, be, we'd both be fucked if it was uh, if, the, if the raging zombies come But let's, we're going to stay in 2002 obviously a good year for you in terms of horror mm-hmm. and we're going to go back to and, and this again this is I guess a modern retelling uh, and a very different representation of the werewolf compared to uh, the curse of the werewolf with uh, 2002's Dog Soldiers. Yeah. What What is it appeals about that for you? The the Neil, Neil Marshall's debut feature.
2: Neil Marshall's debut feature. I was 15 when I saw this at the cinema. Right. And I saw it with my dad. And my dad hates horror films. He hates them. He, like He's not a fan of horror films at all. But I, I dragged him along to see this one. And he loved it. Really? He loved it. He absolutely loved it um so it's kind of special in my heart for that reason um because it's like one of the only horror films that he likes he likes this one and and the kevin bacon film tremors that's it um in terms of horror but i this was the first one they've that both I, got they've both got a similar tone haven't they yeah like like horror comedy bit of action to it yeah 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 but he really he really liked this one and my dad's you know my dad um used to live in manchester Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the a lot of the humor because there's a lot of you know the the norm like Kevin McKidd and and um the 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 character who's from Newcastle I can't remember his name he's always going on about he wants to see the England game mm. um, um and the, and the sense of humor that comes from those characters um I think he he laughed a lot at um so, so it's special it's special for that reason um, because it's one of the few horror films that my I took my dad to, that I dragged my dad to see, and he quite loved it. Um and on and on my on my note, it was for me, this is one of those films that was just a fun ride. It was just so fun. Um and it's a classic siege film, Squaddies versus you know, squaddies versus giant werewolves. But what's great is it is even though it's a low budget film, what it did so smartly is that they went the you know they went the jaws route it's like you didn't you don't see much of the werewolves themselves Mm. you see like bits here and there you see an arm or you see a you see them in silhouette or you see a strand purely because well for financial reasons i'm assuming um and um also it it gives it that it gives it that extra tension because you can't see them and and you can you see like bits here and there and 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 for me that's that your imagination does the rest I'm almost sure they only had
1: like I think one fully functioning sort of uh, werewolf, but then they had I think four heads, so it was like maximising that in terms of the the kind of uh, the image of being attacked by werewolves.
2: Yeah, and it was I, it seemed like it as well. But...
1: And it's interesting because there's no it's it just starts off with a with a with a couple in a tent, doesn't it? Yeah. Getting, getting attacked.
2: Yeah, which you but, don't you don't see anything. You yeah. See, you just hear the sound. But there's no curse
1: of the werewolf in this film, is there? It's just literally that in this world we just accept there are them and we've we've uncovered them.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, the I think the the story is it's the the cottage that the the, the squaddies actually hold up in. Hmm. That's where the actual fa- the werewolves live. Right. Because the it, it the twist the twist is that like the um because no I think there is a curse of the werewolf thing because Liam Cunningham's character he gets bitten. Oh no, you do
1: get it. What I mean is just no there's just no provenance to
2: Oh no no, no. it's just it's That's just, what I mean.
1: There's no it just, just well, you wander into zombies, you can be infected, but the, the 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 beginning of it is not
2: is not important to this to no. the telling of this story. This is just Squaddies encounter the family well in a, on like a training mission. Um and then have to survive survive the night essentially. Yeah. And it's and you know, it's a it's a fun movie, but I think what makes this work um as well. It's just that I think it's a really smart script. Um, I think the performances are great. I think it's got a great sense of humour. Um and it and it's got characters that you care about, and you, you genuinely care about those characters, and you genuinely want them to survive and, and get through it. And before,
1: before you chose this, by the way, I had never I'd, I'd missed completely. Sean Pertwee's character, do you know what he's called?
2: Uh like, ha- um, Harry G. Wells H.G. Wells yeah
1: <laughs> do you know you think you can't find something new about,
2: and there you go and, and and like I think another I think another character is called am not sure I think another character is called Bruce Campbell is he? I think I'd have to double check but I see
1: yes you're right Corporal it, Bruce Campbell yeah because they call him Brucey mm. uh,
2: I think they're him Brucey. I think. He's, and, <laughs> well, I think
1: having, having laughs on lots of levels with this film.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's. I think there's, a, there's just a lot of laughs. I think it's. Got, I think Liam Cunningham. Is, Go on, finish. I yeah. thought. I think Liam Cunningham is really great as the villain in that, and I, yeah, it's just got a great sense of humour, and it's got. It's just got great characters that you love, and which it just makes us. And action works well. It's just fun. It's just really fun and Neil Marshall just just has just got bell in my opinion.
1: Indeed, indeed and if and if there'd have been a longer list you could have done there would have been a double fisher and a double marshall because you'd have uh, you'd have put in the descent as well from 2005. I would
2: I would have gone with the descent but I went with Dog Soldiers in the end because Dog Soldiers was his first and I think the descent is the more is the more accomplished one but for me um Dog soldiers just holds a special place in my heart. No, it's beautiful to hear
1: that you know that you that you, <laughs> you managed to bring your dad round on one, uh, one or two horror films in uh, in his in his um his his not want to be into. But I mean, it's, it isn't obvious to me having gone through this conversation. But is is having you talk through those five together? I mean, let's yeah. run through them again. So we've got we've got Curse of the Werewolf nineteen. Oh, sorry, Horror Dracula nineteen fifty eight. Curse yeah. of the Werewolf sixty one. The Haunting 63, 28 Days Later 2002, and then finally Dog Soldiers. Do you think, from you as a kind of fan of horror films, is that, for you,
2: do you see an, a pattern in there about what you like about horror, or...? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not so much... I mean, for me, it's not so much about the jump scares. Mm. It's never... It's, and it's never about the gore for me, Evo. Like, I, I can't, like, I can't stand, there's certain horror films I can't fucking stand. Like, I can't stand the majority of slasher flicks. Right. Um. Because they, they turn out to be more about, there's only like a few slasher flicks, like, I, I, I really like, like, you know, the original Halloween, um, or the original Nightmare on Elm Street, or this, you know, the Scream, original Scream. That's That's really about it. Um, because the rest of like, I can't, I can't stand any of the Friday the 13th movies. Um, and the, and the reason is because those type of films, they care more about the killer than they do the victims. Yeah. Um, they, they, they just, the victims are just there just to be killed. So that's why they make them as obnoxious as possible. And you don't give a shit. And for me, that's, that, that's horrible. That's like, that that's that's completely wrong approach in my opinion because I'm not a sadist I don't want to I don't want to care about people who do the killing um that's terrible like the the thing that makes for me horror films work is you have to you have to care about the characters who are involved you have to you have to actually care about i mean because that's what for me a lot of the fear comes from it's caring about um you know, you know, like with dog soldiers and um, Twenty Eight Days Later, I I cared about those characters.
1: Yeah, it's, it's our it's our empathy for the character is our vehicle into the story, isn't it? Because yeah, if yeah. we're not empathizing with some, like you're saying, in a slasher film, some jumped up teenager with the IQ of a bin, yeah, you, you, you you're really not bothered whether they live or die. Not that you like to see people die, what well, you do if you watch the slasher film, I suppose, um, but. Um, but as far it's it's a mistake i think for horror filmmakers to presume that doing horror things is what's going to make their film enjoyable whereas as you're saying what makes a film enjoyable is my ability to be following the story through which whoever the main character or characters tend to be and then on top of that if you then make it a horror film then i'm scared because i like the characters not to be scared yeah and no, therefore no
2: the horror has to enhance the story and the characters themselves. Yeah. The, the characters in the story can't just be background. They have to. They have to be full front and center. Um. And and for me, that's that's what a lot of these the films that I picked. That's what a lot of them do. I feel. No, no. Yeah, you're right.
1: No, you you.
2: you... Well, like Dog Soldiers, they put they like Neil Marshall. He puts the squaddies first. Twenty eight days later, they put the. They put Killian Murphy and they put Naomi Harris first. So like when Brendan Gleason died, you feel it. You feel that death. Mm. Um, Curse of the Werewolf, you feel that tragedy of Oliver Reed's character as he goes through this horrific thing and the helplessness of this, the people around him who can't help him. Um, for me, that's insanely powerful. Um, and, and, uh, the haunting, it's like you, you fear what's happening and you fear the plight of those characters, what's going on with them um and and you know dracula is what you know dracula as well you like you're you're fascinated by dracula and and you want van helsing to succeed and and you know for me that's that's the they're the best kind of horror films when horror does that and then you know when horror does the extra thing of you know actually being about something yeah um, as a problem i think a lot of up and i think a lot of filmmakers um especially amateur filmmakers um they don't really respect the genre they think horror is like a quick way to big a, a, a quick way to make a buck really or a quick way to get noticed and and then they don't respect they don't respect the genre they think, yeah we can make a cheapy horror film and just you know make some bang for your buck but then it's like it's just a cheap film, then, isn't
1: it? It's not a cheap. It's just a
2: cheap film. Yeah, that's not about anything. But with, or you get like, or you get certain filmmakers who just think, yeah, I can throw a shit ton of gore in there, um, and and mutilations, and yeah, that'll be enough. And it's <laughs> and it's like, no, it's not. It's the the best horror films, like those films, films like, um, you know, Get Out and other films, you know, The Fly, Cronenberg's The Fly. They 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 are about something but they also make you fascinated by what these characters are going through indeed um, and that that's 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 when the horror like really that's when horror becomes great for me
1: indeed well look thank you nick for uh, for giving us your time on five great british horror films it's been in in uh, it's been an education and a lot of fun um, and okay
2: for having me and for letting me waffle on <laughs> no no it's great I love
1: there's it's, it's nothing I like better than passion and enthusiasm for things that we love and uh, I think anyone listening will, will clearly get that from you talking and you, you remind people you're the screenwriter of Family Blood and that's available on Netflix in. I'm guessing UK and USA isn't
2: it it's available globally
1: brilliant well look congratulations on the film and thank again you. thank you very much for giving us your time on the podcast thank you very much The Britflix podcast. podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of the Composers.tv.